Hi, I'm Ronnie LeDrew, and you're listening to a podcast where nostalgia comes alive. It's Jake's Happy Nostalgia Show. Roll it! Welcome to Jake's Happy Nostalgia Show, the podcast where nostalgia comes alive. Since July of 2021, Jake and his friends have interviewed professionals in the worlds of acting, directing, writing, puppeteering, and many more. Who will they be chatting with in this week's interview? Find out in this Jake's Happy Nostalgia Show episode. Hey everyone, welcome to this episode of Jake's Happy Nostalgia Show, where nostalgia comes alive. I'm your host, Jake Duffenbaugh, and we're always our co-host, Chris Bixby, and Matt Bingham with his pal, Moy Monster. How you guys doing? We're good, hey. Jake. Hi, everybody. Hey, folks. How you doing? How you doing, Jake? That's, that's great here. I'm doing great. As always, Chris, what do we have for today? Glad you asked. We're very excited about today's guest. He is uh, one of the hosts of the puppetry podcast, Puppeteers, with the lovely Adam Grutinger. Um, he's done a bunch of other things in the puppetry f- field, which we'll get into. He also works with our good friend DJ Bob Runkle on his podcast, DJ Bob Show, again, which we'll get into later. And here he is, Cameron Garrity. Cam, happy to have you here. Hey, guys. Happy to be here. Really excited <laughs> to to finally meet all of you guys. And I've yeah. heard wonderful things from uh, from DJ Bob and Taylor Bebot and other friends who've been on the show. So thank you for, uh, for having me. Uh, it's an honor. Uh, yes. Fantastic. Absolutely. Uh, absolutely. So for those who don't know who you are, could you tell our audience a bit about yourself and what you do? Absolutely. My name's Cameron Garrity. I go by Cam as well. And uh, I am a puppeteer and a graphic designer. I live in Buffalo, New York, and uh, work very closely with Adam Krutinger, who's an incredible maker and YouTuber and puppeteer. And uh, I'm not sure if I said art teacher, but he's a great art teacher as well. And um, we've been working together for about 13 years. One of our our highlights uh, that we've worked together on has been, as you mentioned, the Puppeteers podcast, uh, where we uh, conduct interviews with uh, in-depth interviews with the world's most passionate puppeteers. And uh, that has been something that, uh, you know, we have had so much fun doing. We're, we're working on bringing it back again later this year. Uh, awesome. And then I also do, you know, as I mentioned, graphic design uh, is my J job. I'm here right now at Damon University in my office where I'm the associate director of uh Oh, gosh, it's a new title. Sorry, I'm going to flub this. I'm the associate director of uh, branding and design So, in, on our marketing team, nice, which is a dream because I, I went here uh, to Damon as a student. It's where I fell deeper in love with puppetry. So being able to, um, to promote the university and, and get people um, in the door to, to come here as, as students and, and be a part of it all is, is really exciting. Nice. Nice. Awesome. Wonderful to have a fellow podcaster here. Yes. Yes. Bob. And now, now you. you. So what was your background like and how did you grow up? Oh, gosh. Um, so I'm born and raised in here in Buffalo, New York. Uh, for people who are unfamiliar with New York, it's about as far away from New York City as you can get. Uh, with while still being in the same state. And um, 
but have always been interested in the arts, uh, have always been interested in um, the Muppets. So by extension of that, I've always been interested in puppetry, but I didn't really know how far puppetry went beyond the Muppets until I was uh, in high school and, and college. And, um, but anyway, so I, I, I grew up the consummate capital M capital N Muppet nerd. Uh, you know, I, I kind of thought growing up that if I learned everything there possibly was to know about Jim Henson, and if I knew, you know, the, the Jim Henson, the works book cover to cover and Sesame street oh, yeah. unpaved and memor memorized all the documentaries that I'd be ready uh, that at, at a moment's notice, I, the phone would ring and it would be Joan Gans Cooney saying, Cam Garrity, we need you on the set of Sesame Street right now. And, um, you know, I don't know where in my head that delusion came from, but um, but it it kept me going and it it got me interested in in monitor te techniques and and a little bit on how to build puppets. But I also was very comfortable with uh, the Folkmanis puppets that you could buy at the store or the FAO Schwartz Muppet whatnots. Those were serviceable for a time. And of course, all through this, I also knew that I was really interested in in theater and in visual arts as well, which is where the illustration and the, the graphic design got nurtured. And it was when I finally ended up at Damon, uh, then it was Damon College. Now it's Damon University, uh, but was when I met uh, some th some theater professors who really opened up whole new worlds to me. Uh, when I was there as as a student, it got me to visit places like the National Puppetry Conference at the Eugene O'Neill Theater Center, where I've spent uh, many conferences learning puppetry there. But I also uh, got the opportunity to meet um, and and visit the set, the actual set of Sesame Street, when I was, I think I was twenty, when I went there, and uh, it, it, I it shouldn't have taken me that moment walking down the street to realize like, oh, they're fine here without me, uh, but that's that's what it took. It was just like. Oh, if I if I ever want to be able to do this or anything like it, I need to make the experiences for myself and with my um, with my cohort of people back in Buffalo, because there's there's not a Cam Garrity shaped uh, hole in the corner that they're waiting for me to fill. And I say all this, you know, uh, understanding that I I was still doing things in puppetry back home. I was doing things at Damon. I was doing, I was working with Adam already, uh, but it, it shifted the focus to, okay, you have to do the work yourself. Um, and that was a really helpful and important thing. And it's, it's made me a better, better artist um, since then, you know, back in 2011 when that was. So I'm kind of curious, how did you get into puppetry? Hmm. Great question. Uh, so I, you know, like I said, uh, puppetry, you know, the Muppets were always the thing that I, I gravitated 
to. I just, you know, I was a, a kid of the 90s and had, you know, a couple dozen Sesame Street and Muppet Show and Fraggle Rock VHS tapes that I, mm-hmm. uh, for whatever reason, you know, found those more entertaining than, you know, uh, anything else that was around at that time. Of course, I I enjoyed Barney and I enjoyed Disney and I enjoyed Pixar and and all those things. But, um, you know, there was something that had a particular poll about uh, the Muppets. And so the toys that I had uh, around my house were puppets of Bert and Elmo and Oscar Mm -hmm. and Big Bird. And um, so my play was puppetry because my play was influenced by those shows that I was watching and then I also uh, got my hands on uh, a VHS tape that my parents got me that was uh, a, a PBS documentary called The World of Jim Henson that was produced, oh, yeah. you know, yeah. kind of after Jim passed. And so mm-hmm. that whole thing, you know, here I am watching some of the same uh, sketches and scenes from movies that I was watching on those other VHS tapes. But here they are pulling the camera back. And I'm seeing, you know, Jim on his back as they made Kermit ride a bike. And I'm, I'm figuring out how they got Carol Spinney to uh, to see inside Big Bird. And I'm seeing all those things. Right. And mm-hmm. uh, I th- I found that just as entertaining, if not more than than the rest of the world. So I was, you know, at the same time, I was really loving Grover and Bert and Ernie and Cookie Monster and Big Bird and Kermit. I was also, you know, getting to know and falling in love with Jim Henson and John Stone and Carol Spinney and Frank Oz and mm-hmm. and all those people. So that's kind of how that all all started, and it just you know snowballed. Very nice. Awesome. So so I'm curious, who were some of your biggest puppetry influences growing up? Well, Jim Jim Henson was you know probably the biggest name just because uh, his name was on everything and most of the books that I could find were about him uh you know those documentaries also you know acquainted me with people like Kevin Clash who I found really inspirational especially because he was uh, he like Jim did a lot of work as a uh as a teenager and you know there was it was well documented the kind of work that he did before he made it big with with the Muppets um Steve Whitmire, I found really inspiring. And uh, of oh. course, Carol Spinney was, uh, was huge. And, yes. you know, now, now since um, becoming more uh, formalized in, in puppetry and also doing the, the podcast, you know, having been able to meet both Carol and, and Deb, uh, you know, I've, I've really gotten to know Deb Spinney well since, um, since 2020 as she was on the show and you know being able to to meet those people and also big bird was hands down my favorite character you could see some some big mm-hmm. bird merch here in my uh-huh. in my office um and i'm looking at a big bird feather that's on on this wall over here but um Aww. you know that Aww. Just hands down my favorite. So, and we share a birthday. So that always, I felt connected me to, oh, wow. to the bird as well. Oh, oh wow. Oh, oh, that's wonderful. Oh. It's little things, but like, I mean, obviously, as I said, you know, when you're, when you're growing up with this and you're reading the coffee table books, you start to think about 
like how how would the biographers write this kind of stuff? And so I'm, you know, saw those common threads as as things that had maybe more significance than than they really did. Can you share any of your earliest memories watching puppets? Oh wow. Um yeah, I mean, I I certainly remember again, we're we're going back to that uh Jim Henson uh biography uh mm -hmm. VHS tape. Uh, you know, I the, the the pigs do and I get around from uh from the Muppet show and then that great sequence that was originally from the documentary of Muppets and Men, where they're showing everybody with their bikes on these giant rigs. And yeah. I, I remember that being, um, that was a moment that, that stuck in my head. I remember seeing um, the original drawing for Big Bird is in that special. And John Stone explains the idea of the oh, monitor and, and those things. Uh, and then, you know, like I said, I kind of mentioned that I had, toy puppets around all the time so there was there was that element of just play as well and um you know really really crappy you know toy marionettes that always got tangled you'd spend more time untangling oh. the marionette than actually per performing it but you know one of those big they used to <laughs> sell them at um i don't know if it was spencer's or other kind of uh, stores at the mall in the the mid nineties, but these kind of like, um, mine was purple, but it was like this long necked monster with two feet. It was like two feet and a middle body and a long head. And it was like a four or five string marionette that I had and was probably taller than, than me at the time. It's still hanging up in my attic somewhere. Uh, but that kind of stuff was just really, um, you know, these, these early influences where, you know, when you're a kid, you know, you, you have people who cars are their identity, right? Or Legos are their thing or Harry Potter. And for, you know, most of my, my youth, it was like, oh, Cam, Cam does puppetry. So get him whatever kind of puppet things he can, you could find for. So now getting into puppeteering professionally, do you remember what your first puppeteering job was? So the first real gig that I had, you know, I would, I would do birthday parties and stuff for, for family members and, and mm -hmm. other small things like that, uh, you know, would maybe get 10 or $20 thrown at me afterwards. Uh, my sister would also help with those sometimes being a second, second puppeteer. But uh, the first like real thing that we did on a set was uh, for this, I had an internship through Damon with a company called IBC Digital. I'm not too sure if they're uh, how active they are still, but at the time they had done work uh, mostly as an animation company. They animated the Kid Cuisine Penguin was one of their big claims to fame. They had done some oh, wow. concert work for wow. for Sesame Street and a show called Choo Choo Soul. Yeah. Oh my God. Oh, yeah. Wow. Yeah. I, I don't know it very well. I don't oh, know exactly what uh what parts of the show they animated, but like it, it, so it's this kind of animation hmm. house that would pick up these freelance projects, right? So they also had done 
uh, like one shot in uh, the third Harry Potter movie. So like, oh. you know, it's just this place that was doing all these different um, different things. And and they were based in Buffalo and they had this partnership with with Damon University. And when they were finding out when they found out that I was interested in in puppetry, they said, well, that's kind of like animation. And um, so they said, well, we'll bring him on for for an internship. And so uh, we through through the process of of working together, uh, they they hooked us up with the local antique store. It was called Just Looking Antiques, and um, they wanted to shoot a series of commercials that would play on YouTube and in the store. They were going to install these like big screen flat screen TVs and hang them from different parts of the the store and just play these um, these spots on repeat. So we shot three commercials, but didn't do any of it with monitors. Um, it's some of the, I'm, I'm sure if you look for it, you could still find it. But uh, Adam and I have tried very hard to kind of not make it go away, but it's just, it's very, right. it's very early work. So it looks um, like stuff that was done by a bunch of 20 year olds who didn't have monitors and didn't know what we were doing. And, um, but it was great. Um, you know, on the job, um, you know, it was, it was trial by fire. It was, you know, how do you manage uh, a set with X number of puppeteers, but twice the number of, of puppets and how are you in charge of wrangling and, and how do you work with a camera team that's never worked with puppets before? And uh, it was a very formative experience. It was also very formative because I, um, I'll never forget. I we shot those right before I went to the O'Neill for the first time, and so when I was there at the O'Neill, I received a a rough cut of one of the commercials, and I was really excited because it was, uh, you know, I was on cloud nine because at the time I didn't know any better, and I'm just this, these are puppets that Adam and I built, and they're they're in a thing, they're in a commercial, and it looks and sort of feels like you know, what I've always wanted to do. And um, I showed it, I was sitting at a table with Marty Robinson and Robert Smythe, who's another uh, puppeteer, an amazing writer. And I showed it to both of them and they kind of looked at it and they watched the 30 seconds and they said, huh, no monitors, huh? <laughs> and it was such a it was such a humbling thing and then they talked to me about you know if you're on a set and they don't give you monitors you don't work and you don't put puppets up in the air until they bring you that because that's the only tool you have to make sure that your characters look good and yeah. um <laughs> it was it was just a, it was yeah. wonderfully it was a wonderfully um humbling moment but it also it was that thing again of like okay right you have to like it's it's exciting yes but it's also it's also work and and it's work that people will see like you could go to this just looking antique store and i think they still play these commercials that are now like 10 11 years old right so um and if that's here, this is one of the soapboxes that I like to get on is like, if that's the only puppetry that people are seeing, then in a way that 
is almost a disservice sometimes to the art form because when you hear someone singing badly, we, we there's so much people sing all the time, right? You sing in your car, you sing in the shower, you hear singing on the radio, you know, you have a barometer for what is really great singing, what's mediocre singing and what's bad singing. Uh, people don't have that kind of barometer with puppetry. You know, they, they know what really great puppetry looks like, but then when they see, you know, a, a dumb, 20 year old who puts a commercial together they don't necessarily know how low on the uh, the the spectrum that is and so that's that's a real responsibility I feel like the we almost need more um of the kind of puppetry that is low and middling so we could better appreciate when we see something like the Muppets or uh, Crash and Bernstein or <laughs> yes. I, I don't know why that was yes. the note, but, but I know Tim through the, <laughs> yeah. through the O'Neill, uh, but you know, so th- these wonderful examples of, you know, Don Quixote or the helpsters. Oh yeah. Yes. Um, yeah. So that you could really appreciate that when you see it, as opposed to, you know, someone just thinking like, Oh, all I need to do is put a puppet on my hand, and now I am a puppeteer as great as Dave Goals. Mm-hmm. So that was a long no. rambling answer no. to um, no. what was your early work, but it's just again, it's a soapbox that I get on. Uh, it's all good. Very true. Yes, very true as well. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. It's mm-hmm. it's more than just oh here it is. You you apologize. Right. Yeah. No. No, right. it's there's a lot whatsoever. more that goes into us people. A lot more. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's right. That's right. Yes. Yes, indeed. So since uh, you kind of brought this up earlier, since 2012, you've had the great pleasure of participating in the National Puppetry Conference at the Eugene O'Neill Theater Center. It's a wonderful... I, I can't speak highly enough to the program there that uh that Pam Arciero and oh, yeah. Jean Kevins as yeah. okay yeah so yeah Pam Pam is so awesome she's wonderful and she, yes, so she's absolutely. the she's the artistic director at, at for the for the puppetry conference Jean Marie Kevins the associate artistic director I mean I could spend the rest of our time together just listing all of the amazing people who I've I've met through there you know we already mentioned taylor bebot um and it's it's hard to describe i'll never forget so my my second year was adam's first year at the conference and we drove down together and i explained to him all the things that he was going to see and what the experiences were were going to kind of be like and you know trying to explain to him what what he's going to expect but it's also um without going through it and being a part of it, it's hard to envision what, what someone who's been through it is talking about. And I'll never forget Mm -hmm. then on our drive back, the, the very first thing he said to me when we got in the car was, I didn't understand why you'd be right, but you were totally right about everything you said. And, and so I, I say that to kind of preface this with, you know, it's, it's, some of this might sound slightly foreign or, or bizarre, but the, the O'Neill is such a wonderful 
experience to learn um, that you're not alone as a puppeteer. So many people, there's a lot of people who come in from New York or Chicago or, or LA, but a lot of people are coming from, you know, the middle of Mississippi or Michigan or Ohio or all these different places where they're the only puppeteer in their town or their city. And, you know, I'm, I'm so lucky to have Adam, but otherwise we would both be kind of like, you know, there's aren't that many puppeteers in, in Buffalo. And so to be able to, to go to a place and be in community where you could just have conversations about arm rods or what the best kind of, you know, black clothing to wear on stage is, or the most comfortable, uh, you know, kind of roly to bring with you onto set or to show someone a commercial and the, their first reaction is no monitors, huh? Mm. So that, that alone <laughs> is, is worth its weight. Uh, just like I said, just the community of people who are there, but then it's, it's tremendously hard work. Uh, you know, it's, it's from eight o'clock in the morning till 10 o'clock at night, you're, you're doing puppet stuff and you're, you're refining techniques and you're putting on your own shows and you're helping other people see their, their art through, you know, there's uh, 60 to 70 puppet shows that get produced in that, in those 10 days. And you're, you try to soak up a, as much of it as you can and to learn from as many people as you can. And I learn new things every time I, I go back, Adam and I just went down. We, we weren't able to go and be a part of the conferences this year, but we went down, we drove down just to see the final performances and just to soak up, uh, you know, those last two and a half days of what people had learned and what, what shows had been produced was um, it just was energizing. So I I recommend to anyone, you know, if they're able to, uh, to apply and to, to, to bring their art to the O'Neill and, um, you know, work together with some of the, some of the best. Definitely. Yes. So speaking of the O'Neill throughout your time there, you developed a performance titled Sanity Intact. Can -hmm. you talk a bit about what that is and how you created it? Yeah. So, you know, one of the other things, uh, it's it's one of those, uh, everyone contains multitudes, right? So at the same time that I was uh, the puppet kid and the artist growing up, I also spent a lot of time, uh, I was I was chronically ill. I was in and out of hospitals and doctor's appointments and, um, you know, going in for surgery and, and living this life that was very othered by way of, you know, I didn't have other people at my school who knew what that experience was necessarily like of, of going through all this. And uh, Sanity Intact was my way of initially helping other people like me to learn from some of the skills that I had built up as a patient things of like what do you pack when you're going in for surgery like what what's in your backpack and exactly. um, 
and and what how how should I how should I plan my meals the day before when I'm not going to be able to then eat the day of and so it was at first these sort of like comedy takes of of how to prepare and building like I said building resources for other people who are chronically ill but in Mm -hmm. 2016 when I went to the O'Neill as an emerging artist and got to spend the whole week working with a resident company and and building sort of a longer version of the show realized that it was more important to to actually tell my story and and my pediatrician story of how do we how do we get this kid healthy before he turns 18 and I'm not able to take care of him anymore because he has to go to the to the adult doctors and uh it being able to tell my my story in its specificity was able to not only talk to other patients like me but hopefully also resonate with anybody who's had a hospital experience whether they're uh, doctors and staff in a hospital whether they're caretakers for people who who have to go in routinely for for procedures and uh, it was a it was a very fulfilling process of of being able to kind of work through some of that stuff with with art and you know, hopefully be able to um, to shed light for the audience on on how to be more empathetic and how to how to help people feel like they're a little less alone when they're going through those those processes. Uh-huh. In 2013, you created uh, your own puppetry festival called the yes. Geppetto Festival. Mm-hmm. How did that come about and how does that come into play? Yeah, so I mentioned uh, my day job as a as a graphic designer. And so when I was studying at Damon, I was a graphic design major. My minor was in theater where I was focusing on on puppetry and writing. Mm. And I had received a, what they call a think tank grant as a student that allowed me X number of dollars to it, it allowed me to go and attend my first O'Neill conference. And it also gave us, there was extra money in a sort of like use it or lose it kind of fund. And I knew in my, as I prepared for my senior year that I needed to create for my each senior in the graphic design program had to come up with a capstone project. So some people will, some people will write and and design a a children's book. Some people put a website together that is all about, um, you know, they they might say I'm, I want to revamp the Dare program for for elementary and middle school kids, and it, it really depends on what you're what you're passion passionate about. And so I thought, okay, well, how do I, I was sort of challenged to combine the theater with, with the, and the puppetry with the graphic design. So I said, well, okay, what, what is a puppeteer do I wish that I had? What kind of resource? And I said, okay, well, let's, let's create the ultimate resource for puppeteers. And that became this idea of the Geppetto project, which was 
resources, kind of like imagine the Muppet Wiki, but it's all not just Muppet stuff and Jim Henson stuff, but all puppetry. So it's mm. that plus like just endless photo galleries, plus like a version of Netflix that just had puppet content. And because we had this money that I had to spend, what if we also did these pop-up festivals where, and the, the whole idea was bringing new life to puppetry and, and bringing, bringing new audiences in to see puppetry. So yeah. I said, well, what if, you know, Buffalo doesn't have a huge puppetry community. Let's pay to bring artists in to town and we'll invite everybody and they get to see what these different puppet artists have, have to offer. And we'll put on a show and we'll, we'll do, uh, they'll, they'll host seminars and they'll talk about their work and, and just be this really exciting day of puppetry. So that's how, um, that, that was able to be born and we were able to bring in, I can't remember if it was six or seven puppeteers from out of town who all came in. They were all people I met at my first O'Neill in 2012. And uh, so we had people like uh, Christine Dempsey, Matt Laird, Broderick Jones, uh, Leah Ghaznavi, uh, Honey Good Enough. I'm sure I'm forgetting someone else and I'm so sorry that I am. Uh, but we had those people come in and and perform and it was just this really wonderful day. And then we were able to, to do it again. Damon enjoyed the event so much that they said, like, let's, let's keep this going. And we did it another time in 2015, uh, which was bigger and better. And Adam had a wonderful, uh, we put all his puppets up on display in our art gallery and had new and different guests come in as puppeteers. And um, it was, it's truly a highlight of, of uh, some of the work that I've, I've done in puppetry. It was really a boon for, for the Buffalo arts and theater community. And it's, it's something again, that Adam and I have been kicking around of what, how, how could we do this again? Cause our, our big thing is we want to make sure that it's, I don't care if I ever make a, a dollar from, from producing Geppetto, but I want to make sure that our artists don't have to pay to, to, to come to Buffalo and right. I don't want the audiences to have to pay for admission. That was part of it. That the that the day was free for people to come in and and see all these things and be enriched. Um, so finding finding a way to to do that, especially in twenty twenty three, is uh, is expensive. And Damon was wonderful to underwrite it twice, but we need to find other people to be able to to make that happen. So that's um you know yeah just the need for money has kept us from being able to to do it more but hopefully people are watching this and are getting excited by the problem that i've presented here and there's a blink check in the mail they could send it to damon university and i will figure it out <laughs> <laughs> so aside from performing puppets you also teach puppetry in various venues what's that like it's wonderful. I mean, it's it's like I said, um, I think just more people need to need to be exposed to this world. 
and to see different ways of doing it and to start thinking again in the same way that like you know I could sit at the desk and sort of tap my toes and hum a little song like I think more people need to just be sitting at their desk and thinking about well what story could I tell with the pencil that's in my hand and you know if I move it this way now does it look sad and if I move it this way now it kind of looks happy and excited and being able to teach that visual vocabulary to new people whether or not they're six years old or 16 years old or 60 years old it's really invigorating to see those gears start to to click and again for people to be able to walk away and and just have some barometer for this and a, a deeper appreciation so you know, even when they see, uh, you know, I'm trying to think of some popular puppets right now that are used even in advertising, but just for someone to look at that and be like, oh, there's a guy sewn into that couch or there's someone, you know, in a really uncomfortable position, but they're, they're making it work and it's, and it's exciting. And it's, you know, so, so I love doing that kind of stuff and being able to also, you know, show kinds of puppetry that aren't just the Muppet style that I was exposed to as a kid, but being able to, to open up different worlds to, to tabletop and object puppetry and, and some toy theater and other things like that too. Nice. So nice. So so we talked, we talked about it a lot earlier, but of course now you coast puppeteers podcast with Adam Krutinger. How did, uh, how did the two of you kind of come together to start that? How do we come together um, in general, or or specifically for the podcast? Um, well, well, yeah, well, yeah. Like, I, I, I guess we could start by saying, like, how did the two of you kind of like meet? Sure. So we yeah, met. Then, then podcast. Yeah. 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 So we met. Uh, we were both in college. All roads for me basically lead back to to Damon. Uh, so a friend of mine who was uh, a student at Damon knew Adam. They were in a play together at a local theater. She was the assistant stage manager, had some some role behind the scenes. And um, she and I were very close. We, um, She obviously knew that I was into puppets and all this kind of, this whole world. And the show was an Evil Dead musical. I'm not sure if you guys are familiar with Evil Dead, but there's all sorts of crazy props and a talking moose head and, hmm. and different, uh, you know, puppety things that need to happen. So in this show, uh, we're Adam and, uh, our other buddy, uh, Zach Halmister were all in this and, and she just said, you guys gotta, gotta meet up. So, uh, like you do, we we followed each other on, on Facebook and it took a couple months for us to, to finally meet in person. But, uh, we, we met and hit it off and Adam was already, you know, he, he had background as a, as a costume maker and a mascot designer and uh, had a, just an, an incredible background in the making of things. And I had this background that I was developing as being interested in, in the design, in the um, the storyboarding, the the writing, and of course I was always performing, but I didn't have any of that that building skill. So 
it very quickly felt like, you know, these two pieces sort of completing each other. And at that time, uh, Adam was also partly because Zach and I were such big Muppet fans that we just wanted him to like, oh, please make a Kermit or, oh, please make a, a Gonzo or a Fozzie or whatever. <laughs> and, um, <laughs> and and Adam was doing that, which was A, teaching him how to, um, you know, learn all these different patterns and skills that he's then taken on to make all of these wonderful things that that he's made. Uh, but so I was also providing him with, cause I just had gigabytes and gigabytes and gigabytes of reference photos that he was able to, to use and like, Oh, you need a, a photo of like what almost footprint looks like. Let me send that right over to you, bud. Uh, so, so that was, I was that kind of resource for him too at the beginning, but no, we just, we got along really well, uh, you know, always having these creative sort of spats and arguments, but knowing that like at the end of the day, we were, we were doing good work. And at, at the time I was working on this show at Damon called uh, something that I'm supposed to be. And it was about, it was sort of a, a mythologized version of uh, the the last months of Jim Henson's life, which included uh, Michael Eisner and Mickey Mouse being bad guy villains. And I had already built my own sort of chintzy version of Kermit and Ernie and Boober and Cookie Monster, uh, but I needed a Mickey puppet. And so Adam built that out of the kindness of his own heart and wallet and help really helped round out that show because we I couldn't have done it without uh without this Mickey puppet. And so that that was kind of our first collaboration and that quickly then turned into like I said the the just looking stuff. We we worked on all sorts of uh you know we were doing a lot of YouTube stuff early days and then we've worked on local commercials and theater pieces and and all this. So all of that had been happening for a number of years this is where I transitioned into into the puppeteers part of things. And we had been to the O'Neill a bunch of times together. We knew all these great puppet puppet people. But we were also at a point where he was building a family. We we weren't both in college anymore. So we needed to be more diligent of like how do we how do we work in our create creation process into our schedules and work lives and like make something that is consistent where we don't need to just like be having, you know, cause when you're, when you're making a theater show, we were spending a year or two on that, trying to figure out what are the sets going to look like? What's the story going to be all, all this stuff, even with the commercials, the, it was just these long arduous processes of meetings and script revisions and storyboards and all that. And we said, like, we just got to come up with something that we can do on a regular basis that has some kind of routine to it. And so we were looking into, you know, what does a YouTube series look like? We started kicking around the idea of what does bringing on some of the puppeteers that we know, uh, what does that look like? And it kind of went from something more performance driven to well what if what if we talk to these puppeteers about about their experiences 
and Adam was really, really adamant that it was not a formal interview show. I think I wanted it to be more of that in the beginning because I was a huge fan of the Mark Maron podcast and Terry Gross and NPR and like all these really wonderful interviewers. And, and this is where, and I think this is part of why Puppeteers has been so successful is that it is truly mine and Adam's differing perspectives and point of views coming in at the same time while also being able to, to shed a light on these incredible puppeteers. And I think, you know, what you guys do is wonderful in talking with um, people in the, in the industry and, and um, you know, you're, you're super knowledgeable about what these folks are up against, but we've all seen the really crummy interviews where someone's talking to, you know, we haven't had Frank Oz on our show, but someone's talking to Frank Oz and like they haven't done any of their homework. Oh, God. And, <laughs> and they just... Uh, and there's they nothing worse, honestly. Oh eviscerated, but it's those, also yeah. like, mm -hmm. what what a waste of audience's time. What a waste of Frank's time. Right. Uh, and that's that oh. happens to everybody. So uh, uh -huh. we felt like we were creating this, this space for puppeteers to come in where they're talking to other puppeteers. So we could have very deliberate conversations and it became this like shop talk. And that's what Adam really wanted it to be was people coming in sort of sitting down at our, at our table and let's just talk about stuff. And of course we kind of go through people's careers and the ups and downs, but like, we really just want to hear about like, okay, yeah, working on this movie was, was really great, but like, tell us, tell us what went wrong, you know, tell us, tell us your puppeteer stories right yeah and mm -hmm, um, yeah. that that yeah, phrase uh -huh. comes back to uh to jim krupa who's a mentor of both of ours that we know from the o'neill he makes he's an incredible incredible performer but also has kind of has made a name for himself in the world of puppet building and and mech oh, yeah. design Absolutely. and um, he always says that and this is kind of where this is where we got the name was that he always talked about when we take his class at the o'neill that he would he wanted to write a book and it was going to be called Puppet Tears about all the you know misadventures that he had had. And so when Adam and I were in his shop arguing about what was it going to be and what kind of like talk me through the show. What what would the show be? Like what would and Adam said, like, you know, no, I just want to talk to puppeteers about what's going wrong in their lives. And you know, what yes, we're we'll talk about the good stuff, but I want to know about the bad stuff too. And I said to him, well, it sounds like what we're talking, what you're talking about is a puppet tears podcast. And he knew exactly what I meant because we'd been to the O'Neill a dozen times. And he said, yeah, that's exactly what it should be. And we immediately got Jim Krupa on the phone and said, hey, we're, we're thinking of this. Is it okay if we borrow the name from you? Um, and also, would you be our first guest? And we knew if, if those two things wouldn't happen, if he wouldn't be the first person we talked to on the show and that he didn't give the blessing of, of using that name that we would do something else. But um, Jim was totally on board and he's, uh, I think we've had him on four times now as yeah, a guest wow. and um, you know, wow. we kind of bring him back every year and it's just, it's wonderful. And it's, it's taken on such a life and we've both grown dramatically since, since this process, you know, Adam oh, yeah. was, I think Adam was married already. Um, 
by the time we started the show, but you know, he's become a father twice over and yes. you know, God knows all the things that come and, and change in your life over five years. And um, it's, it's been a, a wonderfully fulfilling process. So I'm kind of curious, who are some of your favorite guests you had on, on puppeteers? Oh man. I mean, I, you guys know it's when you, when you have a show, everyone brings their own, uh, their own, you know, unique point of views. And it's, it's hard to say like, Oh, I like this person more than that person yeah. or, or whatever. Right. Oh yeah. Um, you know, uh, moments that we, we have, we definitely have that. So. Yeah. We, yeah. Sure. We, no, we, well, and, and you're also mm. like, Oh no, I definitely like this person more than that. Right. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, some, but some, some more than others. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> like Cameron Garrity, never invite him back on. Um, <laughs> no, but um, no. I mean, so the the person who I always you know kind of point to first is we had Deb Spinney on, oh. and, and again, yes. uh, Carol, Carol, and Big Bird were just so a part of my my upbringing as that to be able to you know spend any time with with deb and have her talk about carol was was really um impactful and just a, something i'll never forget uh we had on um bart rockaburton who has run the the yukon puppet puppet arts program since the early 90s and also was one of the founders of the the puppetry conference at the O'Neill. He's an incredible, I mean, talk about like the the puppeteers who stand on his shoulders are countless. And he's just such a, a wonderful, kind person. And uh, we told him then and we, we need to have him on again. Because, you know, there have been 80 some odd, 84, 85 episodes of Puppeteers at this point. Um, we could have talked to just Bart for every single one of those episodes and not run out of things to talk to him about. Uh, between the people that he's taught, um, the, the people who have, have taught him and just what he knows, uh, just an incredible, incredible font of of knowledge. Um so to speaking to him and being able to to share his story was really, really great. And then, you know, there are the the folks that um, you know, are just friends of ours too. Uh, you know, I Bart Bart, I know in from in person at the O'Neill, but it's sort of a a teacher-student kind of thing. But you know, to be able to have someone like John Little, who's just, you know, our big brother, <laughs> or uh John Cody. Uh, you oh, know yeah. who I, who we know from the O'Neill, and just to to be able to also talk to your contemporaries, and and kind of see these people as they as they come up. Jake Bizell, uh, who starred in and helped to um, write the Winnie the Pooh musical that was just off Broadway, um, yes. and he's he's been to he came in to do um, one of our forty eight hour films he's come for the geppetto festival um he's just come to buffalo to visit um from from time to time you know jakey is a dear 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 friend um one of the best so to be able to just have him on and and um and talk with him for an hour and a half you know there's there's nothing like it 
Um, so, you know, I, I know I said a lot of names there, but, um, you know, it's, it's really, it's really hard to pick. And know, there are, yeah. you know, moments that stick out from, from just about everybody we've had on. And um, it's like, there are so many times I wish I could shout into a void and contact my like 1999 year old self, or not year old, like, but like my, my past self from 1999 and say like, you're going to, you're going to know these people and you're going to work with them and, and they're going to come on your show, like whatever that means, but like, you're going to talk with them for this amount of time. I, I just like wish that could happen because I think I'd be a lot more confident in, in myself or I would have been more confident in myself sooner. I'll say that, um, knowing that that is a thing and that those are relationships that I get to continue to, to nurture with these amazing artists. Uh, definitely. Yeah. I, I, I kind of feel the same way, except, uh, just five years ago. So like, if you told me like five years ago, uh, you'd do like a podcast and you'd meet all these people. Like we, we've had some amazing people on too, uh, who have been previous guests of yours as well, like uh, Carmen Osbar, Leslie Correa, yeah. Rudolph. Um, God, help me out, Chris. Uh, there's so many names we've had. Uh, oh, so yeah. Man, I mean, you guys have well, had yeah. over 100 guests. Yeah, I mean, we've had Pam and Marty. We've Pam and Marty, yep. Uh, yeah. Ryan Dillon we had on, too. He mm-hmm. was amazing. Uh, who else? Bradley Freeman Jr. and Chris Thomas. Bradley Freeman, yeah. We had them on too. Yep. Yeah. So many. It's just like, so to think you'd, uh, to think you'd get to know these these people who you grew up watching on TV, like Sesame Street and the Muppets, is just surreal. What? <laughs> it is. It's so surreal. Yeah. And to also just know them as as people. Yeah. Right. Like mm-hmm. that. That's a really important thing, I think, as well, too. Um. You know, to just know, like, to just know things about them, like, you know, what their drink order is, or just like, <laughs> oh, you, like, that's what your handwriting looks like. And just things that you know about, like, the people you know in real life is, um, and and just, yeah, to, to kind of get them, like, they're still on a pedestal, but to be able to just, like, know them and respect them and appreciate them the same way you would the other people who have important roles in your life is um is really something special yes absolutely there's there's one story i was i was gonna bring up speaking of puppeteers it was the episode with calvin lester and kelsey brady also previous guests yes mm-hmm. yes actually yes. actually calvin, calvin's a two-time yep yeah okay. and uh mm-hmm. you you uh you take uh you have this uh big bird puppet you mentioned big bird earlier you you mm-hmm. take uh this big bird puppet to hospitals in fact i think it was one of your posts i think it was on instagram i saw recently with your big bird or yeah. at some hospital i think it was yeah um, and uh and uh i remember i remember during that particular episode you told a story of uh, one time a med student that chased you down the hall trying to figure out That's how the right. beak worked <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> you had you That's literally funny. as medium was... bird had to mm-hmm. had to tell the attendee like you need your med student because like that was completely unacceptable yeah like, <laughs> but but like to cha- just chasing <laughs> it down the hall 
that was that was something else. Um, huh. <laughs> yeah, uh, you know, and for, fortunately, you know, knock on wood that that has only happened the once. And uh, usually like the the worst thing I have to say about an experience when I go and and visit as uh, as medium bird or doctor bird um, is that people like hug them too hard and the costume kind of like comes down on me harder than I was expecting but like you can't get mad if someone's hugging big bird too hard yeah of course right? um but yeah those are those are incredibly uh fulfilling experiences again going back to to my upbringing and, and being in and out of the hospitals a lot as a kid um you know i um I was a I was typically a big kid at the hospitals, you know, or I was I was there more in my my mid to late teens. So when Clifford or Blue from Blue's Clues or whoever the costume character would would come through and say like, "Hey, do you want to visit or do you want a picture?" I I didn't really need it. Um, I remember you know joking with my mom like, "Call us back when Grover's here." <laughs> you know, that kind of thing. Um, so to be able to, to be that now, um, for, for kids is, you know, it's, it's that principle of like, be the adult that you needed as a kid and to be able to, like, I, I feel that so viscerally when I, when I visit and my favorite kids to visit when I'm at, um, at those hospitals are the people who are like, 15, 16, 17. Uh, because oftentimes, you know, their families will be like, oh no, that's okay. We don't need to. And I'll kind of pop around and be like, Are you sure? I'm I'm happy to talk to you. And um, <laughs> and we just like have a little chat. And it it really does, you know, brighten your day. Uh, I don't know if I uh, it's it's been a while since I listened back to that episode um with the bird call folks, but uh, there was a time once where I walked into this room and there was a younger kid that he was probably 14 or so. And, um, you know, I said, you know, hi, it's so good to see you and whatever. And he looks me up and down and he says, you're not Matt Vogel. <laughs> and I go, Oh, no, no, I'm not. I'm Dr. Bird. <laughs> and they say, because <laughs> that's, that's kind of what we have to call them at, at, at the children's hospital. And, uh -huh. um, and they're like, and you're not Carol Spinney either. This is when Carol was still, <laughs> still alive. I was like, uh -huh. no, no, you know, I'm, I'm just Dr. Bird, uh, you know, whatever, <laughs> whatever it was. And, um, and the, the parrot, kind of you know comes up close to I, I see through a necktie um you know like the sesame street live type characters and the, uh -huh. the parent kind of whispers like oh sorry about this he knows everything about the people behind the scenes <laughs> and i whispered back to to the parent like don't worry i was that kid too it, it, you know good good luck to both of you kind of thing Cause it's just, um, you know, it was, it was such a funny moment. The kid was so unabashedly like you're, you're talking and you kind of sound like my guys, but I know you're not. 
I know you're not Matt. I know you're not Carol. Um, and it was just such a, such a funny, funny experience, but, um, I love doing that. Uh, you know, I, I got to the point where I was going every month to, to our, our children's hospital here in, in Buffalo and, uh, and the pandemic of course, kind of put a, put a, a damper on that. Mm-hmm. Um, I was able to do a couple like sort of Skype calls, but also like getting into that costume is a lot so to even like get into it and then you need another person to like help you finagle the the camera and all that so um but and this is part of why that i posted the photo you guys were talking about that you saw uh, mm-hmm. earlier this week is that uh they they have just started bringing costume characters back to uh to the hospital and and letting them in. So I I'm back on the the roster and I'm I'm working with the child life department now to to continue to to do that. And um I I can't I can't wait to get back. Oh um, that's wonderful. Yeah. Yeah. It's um like I said it's it's some of my favorite work to do. And I I realize I'm sure there are people on here, you know, you've you've had and I like I said, I know people who who do those characters for for real mm-hmm. and um you know i've i've gotten questions from from other puppeteers who've said you know why why are you doing why aren't you doing your own original characters and i've said you know in this instance me dressing up and and doing big bird is i look at it as a cosplay and i look at it as the same way that like someone dresses up like superman and um you know and and walks around and and talks to people um and god knows this isn't gonna convince anyone as superman anytime soon um but Uh to be able to see you know as it is there are some kids who are freaked out by how big the the costume is so if i'm a Mm -hmm. big costume that they also don't recognize that could be so so scary um so you know to to be something that is familiar to them um is just like that that makes a a huge difference in just being able to sort of cut to the chase and be able to have my four or five minutes with them and their their family and um you know i i could only hope that people who might raise an eyebrow at what or how i i do this can understand um that it's it's done from a place of love and tremendous respect for for the characters um so i just want to put that out there because I'm, I'm sure there are people watching like what is this guy doing like right. really who does, he, <laughs> who does he think he is dr bird are you please <laughs> he, he's not mad vogel what are you talking yeah. about <laughs> and i'm not and i'm not and you know You're not <laughs> But um, you know, to to be able to do this little little bit, like I said, it's 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 how I'm able to to cosplay and and uh, bring a little sunshine to people on some of their cloudiest days. Oh, that's that's Aww. wonderful. That's wonderful. We're very happy that you starting uh, you're able to start that back up again because, like you Me said, too. Uh, the the pandemic just kind of put a hold on everything and. Yeah, you know, people kind of people kind of need that kind of thing in their lives. You know, mm-hmm. it really yeah. creates something special. 
Even exactly. if you're not mad, Vogel. Like, <laughs> <laughs> that's right. That's right. Yeah. But hey, as long as you're, you're not you're, mad, Vogel, you, you're you yourself. You're bringing magic to those to those kids who need it, and Absolutely. it's just wonderful. Absolutely. So, speaking of Adam Krutinger, you got to direct the pilot for his web series, Arlo's Art Show. Mm-hmm. For those who don't know what that is, could you kind of describe what that show's about and what it was like working on the pilot? Yeah. So, Adam, as I mentioned, is an is an art teacher, and when he was going for his MFA at uh, Buffalo State University, he his capstone project was sort of a version of the original experiment of can can sesame street uh, can can television be used to teach um and he kind of put put that on his head and said you know can we use television and in this kind of video medium to amplify kids want and drive to to create and to make art and to make art in a way where it's okay if they make mistakes um you know he i i love this about adam he, his um his rule in his art class is he doesn't have any erasers in his art room because he doesn't want uh his students to be thinking about you know oh this this isn't good i have to erase this it's okay. It's okay if you make the wrong stroke and we're going to, how do you adjust around it? And it also gets you thinking, how can I more intentionally put pencil to paper in the first place? Right. So it has, it has those two effects, but Arlo's art show came out of that. He had created the Arlo puppet and he said, you know, I want to create this show that, is sort of, you know, it introduces people to the world. And so I don't remember in what point in the development process we kind of said, you know, well, let's make it a late night talk show. Like that, that was sort of the, um, that was the structure around which we could teach people um, these different things. And Adam, I mean, he, he put his heart and soul into that whole project um he built a set in his garage um that was built into the wall so it was overhead and we were able to to puppeteer he built all the puppets and um, i just helped storyboard and you know kind of provide that outside eye because he was also performing arlo so to be able to you know have that sort of position removed and um you know the again this was six seven years ago now that we did this so i'm sure any of us would look back at that and be like oh that's how you did that uh this could have been could have been better or different or or whatever but um tremendously proud of arlo's art show uh adam's still continuing to do kind of segments with with arlo he's continued to use that character at his um school where he where he teaches um but it was really cool because it, it it had this element of you know we we told really silly puns and jokes about whatever the art topic of the day was we did a demonstration with arlo and we had you know all sorts of um 
wild arms and and feet to be able to you know do close-ups and you know arlo was a rod puppet but you'd cut, cut to a close-up and it'd be live hand uh and, and things like that and then we also interviewed adam's old art teacher no excuse me it wasn't his old art teacher but it was a, an art teacher who he um student taught under and was a huge he's a, a renowned artist in niagara falls right outside of buffalo uh but is also an art teacher and we showed how he he paints Niagara Falls um and does this incredible impasto technique um where the paint is like really raised and so he showed us that technique in a sort of you know Mr. Rogers asked let's go to the the video wall and we'll meet Thomas Paul Asklar and then when we went back to that uh then Arlo did the demonstration and and did a version of the craft himself. So it was, like I said, it was a lot of fun. Uh, we then, and Adam just posted this recently. We sort of reused the set and that care, those characters and the concept of like a, a tonight show meets um, Pappy drew it kind of thing uh, for back in. Oh gosh. I'm, I don't remember at what point it was like 2017, 2018. Uh, there was going to be a, an NBC like America's got talent, but just for puppeteers, um, like a version of the show that Barnaby Dixon um, won in the UK, they were going to bring it here and Henson was attached to produce it. And we were in the running to, possibly be on the show and so we brought back those characters to to do some some really crazy things and there was a uh i think a chainsaw at one point and we were doing all sorts of wild really really innovative things because the whole idea was that uh it was going to be can you do this as in a live performance all one take and so you could go to adam's youtube channel now and and see those performances it was really cool nice that is cool now, kind of uh, moving on from puppetry, you've also taken up writing. How did that come about for you? Uh, you know, that's partly out of necessity. Uh, a lot of puppeteers, you know, in when they find their own voice and they build their own puppets, you also then need to come up with whatever stories you need or want mm -hmm. to that uh, that you could use to to get people to to meet the puppets that, that you create. So I started writing in it. I mean, I had done a little bit in high school, but really in college was when I started um, doing things more formally. I I had mentioned that I, I wrote that show about, about Jim Henson, something that I'm supposed to be. And then uh, there were other sort of devised theater projects that I worked on at Damon. And I was also, Damon had an animation program when they started it. I, they didn't have a minor, but I took enough classes that I technically probably have a minor if they allowed that bureaucracy, right. in education. But I, I took countless storyboarding courses, but, and focused it all on like storyboarding for television. Cause that's a thing. And through that, it was a, an incredible education in how to structure scenes. And it's been some of the most valuable 
resources I've had because almost every project that I've done with Adam since you know 2013, we've storyboarded mm-hmm. um, and we've put an animatic together so we could mm. look at it and critique it and edit it before we ever go onto set and shoot. And uh, shout out to um, Robert Smythe, Ronnie Burkett, Liz Hara, and some other wonderful writers who I've I've been able to work with and get to know through the O'Neill and have really allowed me to get some solid tools in the, in the tool belt so that you can as quickly as you can approach a blank page and get something on there. So you're no longer writing, but you're rewriting is that's, that's the sweet spot that I like to be in. And, um, yeah, really exciting. Uh, it's um, it's not the part of the process that I enjoy the most because I I really do think that the performance is um, is my favorite thing to do. But I I feel pretty confident in saying that writing is really one of my my strengths, and it, awesome. in my job as a as a graphic designer, I've also had to be um, you know copywriter and speechwriter at various times for for other videos and like very boring uh, projects and other things and and again having having those writing tools have been incredibly valuable so you also have a few ideas for some sesame street sketches can you talk a bit about those (laughs) (laughs) yeah um so i mentioned so i've i've visited the set of sesame street twice now the first time was totally just as a like hey could i come to set and see see what things look like and meet some puppeteers and all that sort of stuff second time i went was a little more formal i had been through the o'neill a number of times i had become close with pam and and martin and tyler bunch and some of those those folks um And I um, I was there to meet with Joey Mazzarino about the potential of there weren't any open positions to be on the writing staff, but it was kind of like, you know, putting your hat in the ring and at least you have some FaceTime and, and get to meet him. And uh, so I, I did that. That was in 2015. And I did not know, and anyone out there listening to this that when you go to a show to maybe write for them uh don't write a packet of material about the show that you're potentially going to write for because should they ever um do that thing or any version of it but they don't hire you then in theory like I've I've got the the receipts right so to protect mm. themselves from any kind of um you know scrutiny in that way I I handed this binder to Joey Mazzarino that had a lot of work that I had done at Damon but also had um three three bits that were potential ideas for for Sesame Street he kindly asked me to take those pages out of the submission binder that I was handing to him because he just, he was like, I, I'm sorry, but I, I can't read them, but they are now on my website because I um, definitively do not 
work for Sesame Street and I wanted people to just see like, oh, this is, you can kind of write in their voices. Um, so I did a, this was the time of, they were still like really doing parodies and I was interviewing, oh. not interviewing, but I was meeting with Joey um, like a month after the Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt came out. Uh, and I was obsessed with that first season of the show. Oh. So I did a, a parody called The Unbreakable Prairie Dawn. Um, oh. Wow. <laughs> so it was all about. Nice. It was all about, you know, because Kimmy Schmidt, that shows about problem solving and, you know, Kimmy trying to find her way in the world. And at the time there was the real push for um, steam. So the whole thing was her finding these obstacles and then having to build simple machines to, to be able to have the, the birthday party or whatever. Uh, I, I'm sort of fuzzy on some of those details, uh, but that's on my, if you go to my website, camgarity.com, you can read a PDF of the Unbreakable Prairie Dawn. And then there was also, and I was really proud of this one. It was a, a word of the day sketch. So you'll remember yeah. they, for a long time, they did a, a, the word on the street and it yes, was like a celebrity yes. talking and mm -hmm. Elmo or Abby or Cookie Monster would be there. And then like, they would also come in with all these, like, you know, some chickens would show up or a uh, polar bear or whatever. And so my word was heroic and it was Grover teaching the word heroic with Stephen Colbert, who at the time was still at the Colbert rapport. So he was all about patriotism and, you know, being a man's man and, you know, fighting with swords and being heroic. And, uh, and so the whole bit was um, Stephen and, and Grover talking about the word heroic. It ended with, uh, with both of them, uh, Grover turning into super Grover and Stephen Colbert, you know, returning to frame and being super Stephen in his own big super Grover costume. Hmm. And I like, Again, I, I, this interview, if I'm imparting anything to anybody, it's like, don't hold your old work on a pedestal because when you are 10 years removed from it, you're like, oh, that's not very good. And there are definitely things I could still improve on those scripts, but the, the Colbert and Grover one, like I, 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 I still stand by that. Um, and, and the, the Kimmy Schmidt one, but the, the Grover and Steven, those are two two characters I know very well. And uh I'm I I encourage anyone to read them, uh, unless you work at Sesame Street, in which case don't. Uh, but they don't use <laughs> they don't do that those, those sketches anymore anyway. So it's it's fine. Yeah. Right. Very true, very true. So speaking of uh 2015, that year and the following year, 2016, mm -hmm. you were the MC and host of TEDx Buffalo, mm -hmm. writing comedy mm -hmm. and songs for the presentations. That, that TED the TED conferences are intriguing, I must say. But what was it like writing the comedy and songs for those presentations? You know, it it kind of happened in a way by necessity also. Uh, so I was working on, I, I, I gave a, a, a talk at TEDx Buffalo in 2013 on the power of puppetry. And in preparing to present my own TEDx talk, I just became very quick friends with all the people who were running 
TEDx Buffalo. And I was like, gosh, I'd like to just continue to work with these people. And they needed a graphic designer and I was a graphic designer. So um, I said, hey, do you want me to continue? And I could help you guys build social media graphics and all that. Uh, and they were very excited about that. So I started working with them quickly at, in 2013 and 14 for the, the next um, conference. But yeah, the uh, eventually I got to the point where I was helping to sort of plan the show. And we were saying like, okay, well, this act needs to go before this act because of X, Y, Z, like, you know, all these logistics and also trying to keep in mind the, um, like the audience, right. You don't want too many talks that are like really fast and funny. And then all your sort of sad and pensive ones are at the end, right. You want to, it's like putting a playlist together. And so because I was already so involved helping putting those playlists together i was able to kind of see like okay well to get from here to here we need a little we need a little bit of silliness to clean people's palates and so being able to diagnose that and then just say okay i'm gonna come out and make these two jokes before i introduce the next person it was kind of just it helped in building the show so it came from a very natural place as opposed to other years we would have guest hosts come in and they would have a much more limited time to get a feel for the run of show and how, how do we keep the momentum going all the way through. Nice. But it was, I, I, I keep saying it was a ton of fun. It was a ton of fun. It was, a ton, it was, it was a ton of fun. Uh, and you know, stand up comedy. No, is... Keep on saying it. Until we done. Stand up comedy is something that, uh, you know, in in another life, I would love to be able to to pursue. It's not a a muscle that I very often get a chance to to nurture, but it is something that I I find endlessly fascinating. So to be able to to play stand up for those those two nights um in 15 and 16 was it was a lot of fun nice awesome. so so we talk this is another thing we talked about earlier but you also do a lot of uh graphic design work what's it like uh doing that it's great i would not have i don't think it would have been until i was a freshman maybe even a no a freshman in college that I would have been able to like specifically look someone in the eye and say that graphic design was on my radar or that I would have even necessarily known that that was a job like obviously I knew that there were people who were designers and you know there were album covers and there were books and there was layout and magazines and all that sort of stuff but I never really thought of that as like a, oh that's a that's a job as an artist that you can have and uh when it, damon has a a phenomenal graphic design program and when i was coming in uh, initially i i thought i was going to be a, a teacher that was kind of what i went to college for and i wanted to teach either art or math because those were the two subjects I was best in at, at school. 
And the more I was taking courses in math, I was like, this ain't it. This is not, I'm not having fun. I'm not enjoying this. I cannot, I cannot see the next four years of this being anything that I want to do. And meanwhile, I'm loving my art studios and we have this incredible graphic design program. And looking back, I was always making labels for my mix CDs and I would spend hours and hours and hours on PowerPoint presentations, making them look as like sleek and in inviting and engaging as possible. And I also, I ran my high school's literary magazine and laid out two like 150 page literary magazines. And so like I was doing the work of a graphic designer. I just didn't know that that's what it was called or, or what it was. So I, I fell very um, comfortably into the program here at Damon and to be able to this is where I think it it connects with puppetry in a really nice way is that there's something so iconic about both art forms. If you, you know, most puppets, right. Unless it's, unless you're trying to um, play with people's expectations. Like if you look at Bert, you look at Ernie, but before they even start talking, you kind of get a sense of what their personalities are going to be. And, in the same way, I think that marketing materials need to kind of do the same thing. They need to be inviting and they need to show a character of a brand or a product or a, a place of business or an educational institution before you ever actually like really read what's on the poster. And so I like being able to do that. I I, I continue to find new ways to to love that and to be excited about that. And, mm -hmm. um, you know, a, a lot of designers will work in like a design agency where every day they have different clients and they're doing different things. And that works really great for some people. I love being, and this is what I've done in the 10 years that I've been working professionally as a graphic designer is being in-house at places. Um, so spending years at a company and being able to go to their staff meetings and to hear, you know, and, and really absorb the whole culture of the place. And that allows me to influence the design work that I, that I do for that company. And uh, that's, that's in particular, what has been so wonderful about being at Damon is that before I even walked in the door to interview, I already had, you know, four and a half years of of knowledge that I was able to bring with me just from my own student and applying experiences and alumni experience. Nice. So with graphic design, you uh, we mentioned our buddy DJ Bob earlier. You mm -hmm. uh, began working on his podcast, The DJ Bob Show, years ago, much like Chris did. Yes, he did. Uh, how did how did you begin working for him? Oh no, he's here now. Oh now, <laughs> <laughs> just as I answer, just as I ask the question, are you kidding? Hello, <laughs> hello. I 
I, I kid you not, Bob. First off, hi. Hey, Bob. I, I had I had just asked hey, the question. The moment the moment I finished asking the question, bam, there he is. I thought you guys did like that. You wow. Um, yeah, I got like here. this is your life. I got uh, you. <laughs> Hi, Bob. Oh man, DJ hey, Bob. Bob Runkle, ladies and gentlemen. Yes. Hey. Oh, man, the myth. Oh. Hey. Hello. Man, the next you're gonna religion. bring in Taylor and Adam. Um. i wish so so uh, i was a a guest on bob's show in 2019 yeah we were going to adam and i were gonna both be on the show and um to talk about puppeteers but adam uh his wife was having their first baby so adam was not available so I did that first interview and Bob and I very quickly hit it off afterwards, just talking about the show and our, like all the places we overlapped in terms of our pop culture and nostalgia and all the things that we love. And um, so it didn't take long for us to, you know, just kind of develop this friendship. And then I'm sure knowing, knowing me and knowing Bob, Bob probably asked me if I could design for him. I basically said to you, look, the branding is not where it needs to be. Can right. you can you give my friend some pointers to design a it started out like that. Like Was it that? With a, okay. With and then I maybe and I'm sorry that I don't remember the specifics to this, but I think I probably said something like it would be easier if I just did it for you. Yep. And so, yeah, right. Right. <laughs> and so I did. Um, and so we came up with, uh, you know, a, a logo that I, the logo came later. Uh, Oh yes. Yes. Cause, you Cause I the... did give some pointers before I started working with you i think i i think you needed some just visual consistency was that it and yeah. then and then we came up with the logo and sort of revamped the whole look okay it's coming back to me now and what's interesting about that logo guys is that the microphone wasn't there oh mm-hmm. right wow wasn't it yeah. originally just the headphones no, the headphones came last. It was the um it was the, the text first. And That's then right. That's right. and then you said it needs something more. Mm-hmm. And I was like, okay, well, you're a DJ, it's a podcast, uh microphone. So I found that bass, and then I, I'm pretty sure Bob and I could have this wrong you probably have the receipts to to correct me on this but i think we said like it needed one more thing and then putting the one more the headphone i i we shrunk down the point size on the word the and put the headphones on top and the element of having the headphones but also creating that curve of the silhouette of that style of microphone Mm -hmm. just was like that's it that's like that was the design that it was waiting to be yeah the whole time cuz prior to your logo 
we were emulating the whole Nick Platt approach and like oh and you had that illustration of yourself yeah and what I want any other version of the logo prior to yours was really just kind of too kiddie for its own good so when people look at the logo now they think this could work for any show it has no age connected to it like people don't think it's a kid show or whatever so it's really it works for everyone there's nothing cooler than like old fashioned or even contemporary microphones Right. And yeah. um I, I again going back to my Sesame Street VHS tapes, the uh the the box for the Sesame Street Platinum twenty-fifth anniversary tape had like Big Bird and Ernie and Bert and Cookie Monster, and they all had different microphones. Like each uh-huh. one of them was holding a different microphone, and one of them was the style um matt that you were just showing and that was mm-hmm. uh one that was like what we use for for bob's logo and it's just those sorts of icons have just always stuck with me and this goes back to what i was saying before with the the posters and such and and graphic design in general is that the more you could lock into a common vocabulary that people already have and what those things symbolize the quicker you're going to get to something that is affecting to your audience and so i think again that's why you know something like bob's logo it's so quickly yeah there it is right there yep um this is a vhs grover yeah Grover, cookie and bert and ernie all have their own yeah um, their own style of microphone yep yeah so um yep so yeah that kind of stuff just has always has always stuck with me definitely definitely so do you mind if i stay or am i yeah of course of course (laughs) (laughs) yes yes you can stay bob's gonna stay here and that's what's gonna be he's gonna stay here forever So it's always got to be about DJ Bob. I'm sure. <laughs> yeah, but Bob's uh, been on. He's uh, hopped in interviews a couple think, times. A couple times now. Yeah. Yeah. And he's uh, helped. And he's helped. Uh, and he's helped us get like guests and stuff too. So, and we yeah. also occasionally help out with his podcast. Oh yeah, I've been. Yeah, I've been. And he's also a two-time movie. guest. Yeah. Uh, yes, he's a two-time guest. Now you also do some uh, video editing and motion graphic work. Can you kind of talk about your work in those fields? Yeah, those uh, have been. I did a little bit for TEDx Buffalo, and um, wait, I'm sorry, you, you said video graphics, and what was the other? A uh, video editing and motion oh, video graphics. Editing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, that was stuff. Uh, at the when I was working for the Diocese of Buffalo for some time. Uh, that was one of those things of like, we only have one person on the team who could do it. And Cam, you're it. As I don't really have, a, I, I mentioned the animatic stuff that I do and, and 
creating those videos. That's, that's one set of skills. You know, that's kind of, that's a, that's a bare bones PowerPoint compared to any kind of real, real video editing. But again, when, when you're on a small team and someone says, Hey, we, we need this. Um, I, you know, I've had some experience in, in Adobe after effects, never really used premiere, but I know iMovie like the back of my hand from just doing, you know, puppet stuff from way back in the day when I first got my MacBook pro. So uh -huh. I'll, I'll, I'll do things when I need to. And I like to think that I have a, a decent editorial eye. Uh, so yeah, you, you could find some things that I, I do, but I, I'm very grateful to work with, with video editors. Adam knows a tremendous amount of, of editing. Matt Bowen, of course, edits all of the the puppeteers video episodes. And uh, my buddy, Dave Seifert, who uh, I worked on, um, uh our our 48 film last summer um uh, he's he and uh his partner barack are amazing so i'm i i'll do it in a pinch but i'm i'm happy to delegate that elsewhere <laughs> <laughs> okay so we have an anonymous uh question here oh it's no a, it's a rather odd question but is uh is scraping ketchup off a burger legitimate I'm sorry. The question is: Is scraping ketchup off a burger legitimate? Oh, is this from Austin? <laughs> <laughs> yes, it what? is from Austin. Mm -hmm. Oh my gosh! Yep. Yeah. So, who we also just very recently we, we interviewed. just very recently interviewed him. Yes. Okay. Oh my gosh! All right. <laughs> So <laughs> that's so funny. So Austin is another dear wow. friend from the O'Neill. Uh, we are uh, there. There are a lot of things that that connect the two of us. One of them is the fact that we are tremendously picky eaters, like famously mm. picky eaters. And yeah, and like I also, you know, if I have a hamburger, if I like I'm in the mood, I'll do a bacon cheeseburger. I could even be coerced into like having some grilled onion or throw an onion ring on on that for some like if I'm feeling real saucy. Uh my go-to is what my family calls a camburger, which is just a meat and a roll. Uh or, you know, if I go get a chicken sandwich at Wendy's, which Austin and I do all the time when we are at the O'Neill, it's just the chicken in a bun. So what Austin is referring to with the ketchup is, <laughs> is when you go and you order a plain hamburger at a restaurant and they give you a regular burger and you have to like wipe off with the one napkin that they mm -hmm. give you all the stuff. <laughs> <laughs> But in doing that, like, there's no way to get a perfect, like, squeegee off of a burger that is textured to say nothing of no. the ketchup seeping into the top. You're bun. always going to get remnant. There's always yeah. remnants. Yeah. Yeah. And it always yeah. tastes like tomato or, or there's, you know, pickle juice or it's just it's bad news. 
Uh, mm-hmm. no. I no. I am able to tolerate no. it a little more than Austin can. Like it's one of those things that if I drive away and then I open my burger and it it's got all the stuff on it, it's like, okay, this is this is a bummer. Austin does the U-turn. Austin does the U-turn. But we both feel that <laughs> it is um it is it is problematic and it is just wiping it off does not does not suffice. For the record, I will also say for the, re- for the record, uh, I read this que- I read this question and we're like, what? <laughs> <laughs> no, no, Austin, Austin knows me well. I'm sorry. What? Oh gosh, that's so funny. When we um, interviewed Austin and he asked me to ask you that question, he didn't even tell me really the context. The context. So it was like, no, he, he did mean, not tell me. I mean, sure. But... Just... <laughs> that's so now we have a good oh, idea. A so con- thank you. Um a writing sample that I did. Uh, I had this sketch comedy group that one of the the things that I wrote was that idea of pulling away from a drive through. Uh, I think in the, in the sketch, it's specifically a Wendy's and uh, they forget to give us straws in <laughs> with our bag. <laughs> and oh, no. so the person driving I'm like in the back seat in this scenario. We were all playing ourselves or versions of ourselves. And the person driving says like, oh, there are straws in the glove compartment. Only to find that like, they're not Wendy's straws. Those are, that's a straw from Target. That's a straw from Starbucks. And that's a straw from like McDonald's or Burger King. And you can't mix them because those straws are designed for those specific cups. So it's literally like, a six page diatribe on how you can't mix different elements from different fast food joints. Um, and it's again, uh, it's an old piece of work that I, I did, but it's, it is one that I stand by. If, if it, if only because I still feel passionately that you can't mix, uh, straws from different fast food places. (laughs) Come at me straw Twitter. (laughs) <laughs> uh, so can you share anything you're currently working on yeah uh you know my my day-to-day has me always working on different uh projects at at damon there's always new things happening there if anyone is interested in graphic design or animation or any kind of visual and performing arts i can't recommend uh the programs here and the place more wholeheartedly. Uh, so feel free, anybody listening to reach out to me about um, this fine, fine place, not a sponsor, but I, I care for it right. dearly. Uh, I also continue to do illustration. Uh, I have a tea public store now, so I'm doing all sorts of weird, silly uh, Muppet drawings that you can um, slap on a t-shirt if you're so interested. I do uh, graphic design with uh, another thing that I do called 10 minute typography, which is on socials. It's just daily graphic design exercises, trying to, to flex the muscles using fonts and colors and techniques that I don't get to use at my at my day job. And then we're slowly but surely working on getting uh, puppeteers back. Um, And in the meantime, there's also um, a 
I'll say it here because it'll happen. I don't know how long it'll take for it to happen, but we're working on a uh, puppeteer's book. So, Ooh, a, nice. yeah, oh, so it, it'll be a sort of um, collage of all the different moments, um, or I shouldn't say all the moments, but from different right. moments from different people's um, interviews. So it'll be broken up into different chapters that fit different themes about mentors and getting started and you know Jim Henson and people's puppeteers and all these different things and and be this wonderful it kind of started because we at the end of every year we would put this sort of video message out that was showing people like little it was like a highlight reel and everybody had a little clip and there's something really beautiful mm -hmm. about watching in conversation, all the different things that puppeteers had to say and where the similarities were and where the differences were. So to be able to have a whole book of that, that sort of celebrates all the people who have given uh, their time and energies to, to chatting with us uh, and for listening, I think there's going to be something really valuable about seeing this cross section, seeing these different quotes interact with each other and, uh, really being able to for someone to give the time to look at it and read it as opposed to just kind of passively hearing it um you know through their speakers right nice. so that i yeah. that is like in the super super early stages but nice. uh, i worked with adam on his puppetry 101 book uh, oh, yeah. at the end of last nice. year and awesome. it just got us really excited about the the opportunities for self-publishing and digital printing and how easy and accessible that was and it was just too good an idea to not um to not pursue to kind of help commemorate and put a button on on the show that we have given so much time to uh if if you're even considering it start um start making transcripts of your show now because that that's the stage that we're at right now and it is a grueling process of just getting everything oh yeah typed up and we i will say we have um some great programs that uh that do a lot of the work for us but when we're talking about silly words and names and there's three or four people on the call talking uh getting that all <laughs> uh correct is it's a lot. So yeah. uh, that's that's why I say I don't know yeah. when when this will happen because it's going to be it, it'll it be good work, but it'll be a lot of work to, to make. Oh, it yeah. Happen. yeah. Yeah. Yep. So to anyone watching or listening, what would you like to say to those who have kind of uh, supported you throughout your career and who have, well, I guess, supported you like throughout your journey? That's a great question. And I'm glad you ask this on the show i i um in familiarizing myself with with you guys and knowing what kind of questions you ask i think it's a really important thing for people to to think about the audience that that they're talking to um and who who we're doing this for because while i think a lot of artists think you know i would do this even if it was just me we all do this for the people who are gonna take this this work in and absorb it and be affected by it. So 
I just want people to know how grateful uh, we are for taking the time to to be with us through everything, through all of the, you know, weird and unpolished and, you know, all the, in all the ways that we have learned and continued to grow. Um, I'm appreciative of people's patience. And it's also, it's, it's something that I have it on a little card up here, but I think it's really important that in, in everything that we do to, um, to be considerate of people's time because it's not ours to waste. And that goes for if in working with my coworkers, I ask them to help me out with something. I I don't want to take advantage of, of, of their time. I don't want, if I'm asking someone to, to come and talk with us for an hour and a half or longer, um, I don't want, I want to be respectful of the fact that we're going to ask them questions that they've never been asked before. Um, and be knowledgeable about their body of work and um, to say nothing of then the audience who are, are going to spend their time listening to that. So the more we could be respectful of others time. And I, I, I think all four of you for, um, for doing that with me and with, with everybody, because um, you know, it, it takes a lot and it, it does not go unnoticed. If people would like to connect with you, where can people find you? I'm just about everywhere um, at Cam Garrity, except for the aforementioned um, Mastodon, Pterodactyl, Triceratops, Sabertooth Tiger, <laughs> Tyrannosaurus. You cannot find me there. Um, mm-hmm. um, but yeah, at Cam Garrity, I'd love if people are interested in... Uh, wearing some of the really silly, stupid designs that I'm creating over at my tea public store, uh, just because they're, it's really inside baseball, some, some really stupid, funny Muppet stuff. I, I did a shirt the other day that it's, um, it, it's the Hugga Wugga, excuse me, Hugga Wubba Weeba Jamboree. So it's got Ernie dressed up like a farmer from the the honker ducky ding jamboree right yeah. that's mm-hmm. the structure yeah but then it's got the hugga wugga characters from the ed sullivan show <laughs> it's got grover doing the wubba wubba um mm-hmm. you know that yeah. and then gonzo and the chicken with where or the, excuse me, the, the cow where their horn should be from the jamboree song on the muppet show oh my um, gosh <laughs> and uh and like i said puppeteers i hope people uh continue to to watch for those episodes, revisit some old ones. And uh, yeah. Adam and I are, I was just talking with him this afternoon about, oh, nice. Um, oh, nice. about scheduling some, some future interviews to get that, get that back. And Absolutely. So the last question that either Matt or Marty will take is a question we ask all of our guests at the end. Go for yes. It, Marty. All right, I haven't I haven't asked a question in a while. Uh, so of course, <laughs> this podcast is called Jake's Happy Nostalgia Show. Yes. When you think of nostalgia, what do you think of? Or in your own words, how do you define the word nostalgia? I think of it. It's funny. I there's a quote. I saw this artist, and I'm sorry that I don't remember 
what uh what their name is but they had this wonderful quote that i saw at a museum in in san francisco a number of years ago and the the drawing that they had on the wall it said um you took me back to my youth a youth which i miss mightily and i think that's nostalgia in a nutshell it's it's pairing the elements of the past and the things you look back on most fondly and being able to um, meet your present self face-to-face. And some things do that better than others. You know, I think that's the problem with a lot of, um, this is a whole other podcast, guys, but, um, you know, a lot of the reboots and remakes and rehashes and re-re-re- whatever that we're seeing right now in Hollywood is tries and sometimes accomplishes to, to hit on those bits of nostalgia. Um, there are ways we could do it better. There are ways we could do it more authentically as well. I'll, I'll speak for myself. Uh, I go, this started in high school, but every, pretty much every day, every other day, sometimes, it's once a week. Uh, I go on and look at the new photo section of the Muppet Wiki. Not many people know that I do this, but I'll I'll share it with you guys. And that started, of course, that this started when I uh, was really just looking for behind the scenes photos because a lot of people uh, they they put some wonderful behind the scenes pictures on there. There's great reference photos that I I talked about before that I was sharing with Adam. Uh, but the other thing that it's like my white whale that I, every once in a while, someone will post a little bit of merchandise. Sometimes it'll be a poster. Sometimes it'll be a stuffed animal. Sometimes it'll be uh, literally recently there was someone uploaded a picture of a, a toothbrush box, like the box that a toothbrush used to come in, but like right in the sweet spot of like, 1994 1995 sesame street and the rush that just because i you have that image like kind of in your mind's eye right but to see like what that actually looked like was just and someone can't if you could feel the box when you get you could you could feel the box you feel like you're time traveling and it's just that that for that moment of you took me back to my youth a youth which I miss mightily, and um, so for me, that's that's nostalgia. Well, Cam, thank you so much for taking the time to do this. This was a blast. Thank you, yes. guys. Thank you. I, I, you yes. know, I, I realize I went on a whole. Uh, I got on my soapbox about respecting people's times, and I'm sorry that I didn't do that. Uh, you know, last month when we were trying to trying to meet. Um, yeah, no, that's okay. No, that's no, no, responsibilities, but yeah, I'm I'm so glad that this worked um i appreciate all of the the research and homework that you guys did and it was a a blast getting to to chat with you and anytime uh you want to do it again um you've got my you got my email i'm so proud of you guys thank you well to all of our viewers and listeners this brings another 
Jake's Happen to Solid Show episode, episode to a close. We absolutely enjoyed our time yes. with Cameron Garrity and yes, of yes, course having you. DJ yes, Bob back on too. Yes, thank also, you so much. Also, also, be sure to check out uh, Puppet Tears where we find your favorite podcast. Yes. 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 Thank you so much again, yes, Bob, please for, for helping us please all. Do. And, and, and Cameron, thank you so much for you know, for doing this. And, and no absolutely. worries about what, happened, about, about what happened last time. <laughs> yeah. Uh, no so worries. Much. Thank you guys. It, it was, was, was yes. well worth it. And, and thank you so much for, for, you know, for what you're doing and for, for, you know, for not just for knowing you were from puppeteers and but everything else, you know, I'm glad for us, you know, not just knowing you, but your work, you know, it's just amazing and keep up your great work. And can I wait what's next in store for you, especially for the future yes. puppeteers and Puppet- on the year on yeah. other stuff. Later, later on in the year. Yes, awesome. absolutely. Yes. Thank you, well, guys. Yes. We'll talk well, soon. My pleasure. Yes. Bye-bye, Cam. My pleasure. And as always, what do we say, Jake? Keep the all alive. Take, take care, everyone. See you next time. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. Bye-bye. Thank you for tuning in to another wonderful Jake's Happy Nostalgia Show interview. Be sure to follow Jake and the crew on social media and stream the show wherever you find your favorite podcasts. And as always, remember to keep nostalgia alive. Bye-bye.